Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to check out the company that I'm in charge of, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Intro co-host today, because this is part two of our conversation we had with Dick Fearson, but I wanted to talk to somebody from Minnesota. So while one half of the Minnesota connection is out fishing, the other half is working and doing podcasts. So, Carrie Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want to check out more about their company, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. I shouldn't even say there. It's her company. Like, Brad's nowhere to be found. I don't even know what he's doing today. He's off fishing he or fishing. doing whatever. He is fishing. Yeah, so, Carrie, last weekend was the Minnesota opener. And I, it sounds like you guys had some success, but also, you know, a little bit of adventure. Why don't you kind of give us a brief rundown of how this weekend went? We, we did have a little bit of success. It was, it was, um, we, we put a lot of hours in for, for what we got, but it, it was good. Um, the weather was, uh, fair at best. We had a, a lot of wind and a lot of big wind. I have not been in waves that big for a very long time. I was actually shocked because at some of them, because they're, I was like, Whoa, those are big. I haven't seen waves like this for a long time. I'm, I'm usually kind of a fair weather fisherman. I get, get to go in the evening, not all day long. We did end up getting one fish on Saturday, a 39 incher on a hex trolling. Um, we got chased off the lake from storms and then we ended up going back out and Got rained on the rest of the evening between the rain and the and the splash from the waves soaked the rest of the evening but we did we did squeak out that one fish and yesterday we just played in the waves drove around in circles sounds like i didn't miss out on much then no but you know any day on the water is better than a day at work so oh yeah that's that's a fact for sure I got a little bit of time out on the water this weekend with my daughter, so that was good. We cool. didn't we didn't get as much on the water as I wanted to because um, well, we're in the middle of nowhere, and so she didn't have any place to go to the bathroom. We weren't going to fish all day anyways, and then she's like, well, Dad, I got to pee. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I'm going to stay up for another hour or so. So as soon as I got off the water... I sent a text to Bob Schmidt and I'm like, Hey Bob, you still send those, sell those like portable toilet dealies. And, um, so just in case sells like they call it the good to go little portable toilet sits kind of low in the water. That way a little girl could sit there and go to the bathroom and I could stay on the, on the lake. So hopefully sometime this week I get myself a little toilet from my boat <laughs> so I can stay on the water a little bit longer. Nice. I didn't even know Bob made those. Uh, we usually travel, especially if, if with Mika, uh, a five gallon pail that works well that's uh, that was the direction i was gonna go i used to work at fleet farm way back in the day like i don't know how old am i i'm 43 so it'd probably been like i don't know 25 26 27 years ago they used to call something called a luggable loo is basically like a five gallon bucket with a toilet seat on it but right bob makes this thing it's actually quite a bit shorter it's probably only like five or six inches tall or so so okay. i thought this way she could kind of like hide down in the boat a little bit more than being up on top of a five gallon bucket so, right, right. So that's where I'm, that's, uh, I get to spend a hundred bucks. So hopefully next time I go out fishing and when I go out fishing, I can stay out a little bit longer. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. Well, I'll my daughter to... was like, well, dad, you really going to spend a hundred dollars on the thing? I said, I would have easily paid a hundred dollars to get another, another hour on the water today. 
Oh yeah, and like it, like us, if you're trolling, you got to tear everything down, and then drive in, and then drive back out and put everything back up. It's it's a yeah, it's probably worth a hundred bucks. Like I said, we have a five gallon pail, and in the trolling boat, you sit in lawn chairs basically. So Mika's thing is to hide the pail behind the the lawn chair, and she's she's good to go. But she kind of grew up doing it so mm-hmm. well my daughter she, hasn't grown up doing that like if we go on the <laughs> pontoon boat they got a little like like almost like a changing area on the pontoon boat it's like a little tent right. that you put up so that's fine but she was definitely all about it and then uh, if i would have taken it like there's no like some of these northern wisconsin lakes there's nothing around there's no parks there's no right. nothing and heck i don't even know if there's a park right now if the toilets and stuff would even be open so i was like well if i take her to shore that's not gonna be any better <laughs> so <laughs> that was the end of the day of course, you know, we had a little bit of action. I literally spent two hours trolling to got nothing. And that was, so that was kind of my plan. Spend just a short time. And then I went cast and I lost one probably in the first five casts. And then my daughter had one follow, but it was weird because it followed in, but it didn't look like it had any attention to eat and then it stuck its head out of the water and then swam away. So I don't know what that was about, but so that, that, that was the extent of my fishing this weekend. I got a trip at the end of the, at the end of this week to go to Northern Wisconsin fish with Andy Vyth, my buddy, and Jeff Vandermortal, so hopefully we can put something in the net and film something for YouTube. That'll be good. That'll be good. I'm hoping I'm hoping Brad can put something in the net today. I think they're doing some casting today, so. Well, that's good. So, Carrie. Good any, for him. Well, yeah, it is true. I mean, you're hanging out there at the shop holding things down, which, I mean, we always give you a hard time about not being on the podcast, but typically when you're not on the podcast, I'd like to say that you're mostly always in the shop. So it's not like you're just screwing off like Brad is right now. (laughs) I am usually in the shop or I have to get something. I am typically working, whether it's in the shop or doing something else or sometimes I'm sleeping. If you guys opt the podcast at midnight. Well, I'm certain that's coming. Hopefully not too much of that, but. I know guys like Dick Pearson. He's not going to be podcasting at midnight. I don't feel. Uh, I'm going to guess not. I hope not because I, I'm not a super fan of podcasting at midnight. I would prefer to be in bed now by midnight. I'm getting kind of old. I can't run. I can't burn it quite as hard as I used to. Although Melissa had a conversation with me in the shop yesterday. She's like, do you think we got to go back to where we only get four or five hours of sleep a night? I'm like, oh, brother, I hope not. I like six a lot better. <laughs> I, guess, I like eight or nine. I don't really even know what that feels like right now. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. Well, you got anything to talk about with Musky Mayhem Tackle this week? Uh not not that I not that I know of. I mean, the same same stuff we always talk about. I mean, if you're looking for something special, you can typically find everything that we do on the website. Or you can email email us. You can you can try calling, but just like the podcast, we're quite busy around here. And if I'm not in the building, no one answers the phone. And I don't always notice that someone has called and checked the voicemail right away. So you are probably better off to email. I do check that all the time. Do you have anything I need to talk about? I, don't, I don't think so. I put a big order into you guys again. I got, I got that. That's actually out there and i don't know if it's in progress yet i did my part so far that's good it wasn't melissa that put the order together so it's probably smaller than what you wanted but 
I'm a little more conservative when I order. <laughs> yeah, I was giving her some, some static about that. Unless it's t-shirts and clothing apparel. That one design that I sent you last night, the one with the tree on it, I think we might have went a little heavy on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I had a difficult time making decisions, so I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to order it all, and then we'll see what happens. There you go. So for anybody looking for new TRO apparel, we'll have some, I don't know when, next couple, three weeks. If you're looking for, a, we had a hoodie that had the state of Wisconsin on there with our logo in the middle of it. For people looking for that, we got that restocked on the website. Other than that, not much, Hunter, really that new right now. Next podcast, hopefully I got a cooler announcement, something that's been in the works for about three years. So, But anyways, Carrie, if you have nothing else to add, if you're looking for gear for your upcoming muskie trip, go check out muskymayhemtackle.com. Check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We both have YouTube channels. We both have Instagrams and Facebooks. So if you want, go check that stuff out. And unless Carrie's got anything else to add, let's play part two of our conversation with Dick Fearson. I, I say we bring on Dick. All right, let's do it. All right. So our guest again this week is going to be Dick Pearson. This is going to be part two of our conversation with Dick. I know that in part one, we kind of went down more of the history side. It was a little bit different than our typical podcast, but that's great. We like different, different's good. So Dick, we really appreciate you continuing to take time out of your day to talk muskies with us. We can't thank you enough for it. I think in this part, why don't we go down the uh, open water path? Open water is something that we touch on a little bit on the podcast, but we haven't really devoted like a lot of time to it. Not, not like, not like the amount of time that you have spent out, you know, out learning it. We have never had a guest that's uh, focused on it specifically. Brad likes to talk about it. I'd like to dive in a little bit, but so let's go down that path, Dick. Cause I know that you keep, t I know in part one, you talked about, open water being like the next frontier and the next frontier I think is starting to be now. I mean, I think there's some anglers that have been out there doing it already, but I don't think that the majority of us do it in the last episode. You talked about weeds and how musky anglers like weeds. And I still feel like that is a hundred percent true. You know, especially Wisconsin guys, if they're not throwing at weeds or can't see weeds, they don't think there's muskies there. So Dick, why don't you kind of lead us down the path of open water give us your thoughts on that and then we'll kind of just keep rolling with that sure yeah I'll, i can do that jeff well i i we, we had a lot of history but i i think it might be helpful just to get a little history on that too my history with open water started as a lunch break um i i was with fishing with a minnesota dnr friend we were up on his opening weekend of canada and we were in back end of stony bay long skinny bay i bet the you know, the deepest hole in the whole bay is probably, it might hit 20 feet, I don't know, 12 to 18 feet out in the middle of the bay. It runs, you know, a few miles, uh, what, east and west. And we're fishing and nothing is happening. And I said, well, let's take a break. We're not going in, let's just take a break. And because we usually had tremendous openers there. And uh, so we pop out the, you know, the cooler and we make some sandwiches and, and, uh, I, I, I think he threw out a spinner bait. I threw out a uh, I threw out a bleeder, and we just idle talking. What are we going to do? And we started down, started down Stony Bay, and you know, hour and a half later, I think we had four muskies out in you know what twelve to twenty feet of water over over pretty much nothing. Although I started to notice 
bait fish. But back in those days, with a ton of weeds in that area, there was pretty much bait fish everywhere. So it wasn't it wasn't significant structure, so to speak, then like like bait is now in most places. But that's I mean that's how I started. We it was just a fluke. I I didn't know anyone that was doing it. I'm sure there's lots of people doing it, but it was simply long lining going down outside the weeds, open water and, and shallow spawning bays, shallow flats, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, I'm sure Dacron line back then and we were we were you know, I, I, I know my first fish was on that uh, that believer, shallow eye. Uh, so we couldn't have been going fast, probably would have blown out. And then we went, uh, you know, that that took us to, gosh, the hot bait for a while was AC Shiners. They were like a gigantic, fat, 10-inch rappel. I don't know if you guys ever have seen them. I haven't seen one in years. But I'm sure I got one in my shed somewhere. But they were called AC Shiners. From there, we started uh, with jerk baits, and particularly bobbies. My wife used to love the weight bobbies. Well, bobbies, as you know, they're, they're a good shallow water trolling bait because they do in fact swim they got they got side to side they got a little bit of everything going for it whether you impart anything to them with jerks or not in fact historically bobby vander velden or whatever his name was or the wisconsin guy they have a tremendous history if, you, if you're familiar with lake of the woods bobby vander velden or vander whatever it was that his gang used to come up to lake of the woods annually and they would put bobbies out, and they would troll it all pretty ninety nine percent trolling all over the damn lake, uh, out in the middle, across around one island, across the wide open to the next island, and it was stunning the statistics. There's a someone in Wisconsin probably has those records. I mean, we used to try to find their annual records because that I mean that was. You know, in, in the days when a 53 was a freak on Lake of the Woods, they would have two or three of them. So that's, that's just a little historical highlight of how I got started. And then the next thing I could remember about that is once I started hanging out with Stangy, hunting and fishing, once he caught me on Blackstone there, he got me going on wire. You know, and I'm talking back in the early 80s. Uh, if not before, and he brought that technique, the wire, short, short lining wire with uh, primarily swim whizzes and little believers, but, but it was a whiz, swim whiz deal. He brought that from uh, Iowa of all places. You know, he used to teach down in Iowa, and, you know, he brought that technique, so to speak, from Okoboji and Spirit Lake, where they used wire to, to precision troll uh, edges of weeds and maybe cut through the weeds. I'm not sure. But anyway, so that. The first short lighting that I ever did was with Stangy or via Stangy using wire. Uh, boards, stuff like that, rare. In fact, still rare for me. I'm, I'm a dinosaur with that, you know, because a lot of times I was on lakes with just one line and they weren't necessary. Particularly, I thought I could get around scaring things by long lining or, or whatever, turning, wide turns, whatever. But boards, were rare. Uh, first time I used board, although it was early, it was early 80s. Sometime in the early 80s, I either Pete Mayna conned me or I conned Pete Mayna into going to try Nebraska. I think it was Merritt Reservoir maybe and a bunch of 
of prairie uh, lakes that were stocked. We went out there, and I, me- I remember Maine and I probably ended up not talking for quite a while because Scotty hit me. I didn't realize how much work was involved with I think he was running like six lines, four boards, and I, I mean, I was, he wore me out just up and down and pull this in and do that and drove me nuts. So uh, my, my history is I started with a lunch break and, and I got rid of wire and, and boards because of early experiences. And, uh, and, and, and then I started, I guess, approaching it a little more scientifically. It's probably the wrong word used in conjunction with me, but thinking about it a little more and and trying to find things that seem to matter and, uh, and, and stuff like that. I have to say that, you know, my early experiences were almost always on meso water because I was skeptical that it would work. And, and the meso was, you know, relatively shallow basin, shallow flat, out in front of my favorite mid or even late season spots for instance, in front of saddles, and particularly neck down areas, or even more particularly the the mouth of neck down areas, particularly if they happen to leave giant spawning areas. So early, for instance, on Lake of the Woods, it would be running spawning bays that had some depth, you know, the 12 to 20 stuff or be any adjacent flats to those spawning areas. Um, but some of our best areas, and I think I even had one of the current uh, great guys, Josh Borowski, in my boat one time when he was just a young young kid. You can tell him to take offense to that. I think he, I think we trolled a, uh, a mouth of a giant spawning area on Lake of the Woods one time. I think he was with, and I, if that's the day I think of, I think we caught four. And Frank Walsh, who owns Baseball Reserve, uh, was guiding, and I think he would think he caught three or, or vice versa. We caught three and he caught. But that was all going open water around bait at the mouth of gigantic spawning areas. And particularly at the mouth of neckdowns, which now, with more study and thought, tells me a lot a lot more. I, I now know a lot more, I think, than I did then. Then I was focusing more on just the just the geographical location. Well, you know, here's the, they're pinched down, here's the exit, here's how they head out to sea. So why don't we why don't we troll sort of the mouth and catch them when they're coming out? That was kind of the thought process. Whereas nowadays I think it's probably a lot more involved and I, I know in terms of bait, that was the heaviest bait concentration at the, the mouth of those spotty areas before you got to deep water. I know that. I know now that's where all kinds of current was, which would mean mixing of water, which would mean reducing the effects of cold fronts in terms of temperature and and oxygen. It's all, all water movement is the key to everything for me pretty much but anyway i didn't know that at the time but that's how you know that's how i started and then being in love with uh shell water i i I started trying it there and i'd like to say it was a logical thought out thing and it wasn't only in a certain sense 
I would have on, you know, I'd have a good understanding of, of the spawning areas. But for some, for some reason, most of those spawning areas in Charwater or the mouse zone didn't really work well open water for me, for me even early. Um, so what I started doing is I would go to my best spot and I would start trolling around open water, my best spot. And early in the season, I'm now convinced that the mistake I made is that I was too deep. I was running my baits solely based on bait. And I think early in the season on real clear water, if you're too close to the bait on real clear water, I think you can miss some of the muskies um, because they're above you. And so I hate to go there. I don't have anything solid for that other than my own feel and my own records and my own success. I started, I think I started too deep and I would, if I could do things over, there would have been five, six, ten years in there. I would have started early, particularly early season. I would have started, I would have run shallow. But what I did is I ran relatively shallow in comparison to anything. Like if I use uh, depth areas, have always been one of my favorite flowing days. And I usually run them. I would get them. I would get them one way or another. I would usually run them from 16 to 22 feet. But back then, I you know I was short line, so I was using them. But back then, there, there were some crazy baits that I had success with, and that was I think like a Cisco kid. You know, they they, they, they were an old, they were an old favorite, but 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 largely at least in people I knew it was a casting favorite. But it was about with a background line back in the real old days. You you know you tell a Cisco kid you were down there six seven feet, and those were the those were the depths. That we're getting the bigger fish for some reason. We were getting tons of smaller fish. And I'll define we, uh, on trout water, we weren't getting uh, the real small fish, the 34, 36, like you'd get on, like in Stony Portage on your lunch break type fish. We weren't getting those real small males, but we were getting 38, 38 to 44 inch fish. And we'd get good numbers of those. Still can. I can still go get good numbers and trout water, um, even mid-season, uh, open water. It, 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 I'll talk about it later, what I try to do there. And again, it's combining things. It's it's reducing the box out there, and it's combining factors. And We'll, we'll get to it. I'll try to speed it up. Um, but I, you know, I found that early the biggest fish that I was catching, or my friends were catching, were shallower than the other fish. Later, the, the average fish were the same, probably probably deeper and it, clearly more more bait related. You had to be more conscious of depth and closeness to bait. But and this will get controversial as hell, and because I think I'm doing, but but I I can only tell you what happens to me. But then and now. All the big fish on trout water that I am able to catch, with one or two rare exceptions, are are still, I guess, open water. But they're clear. They're clearly closer to traditional hard structure reefs, points, humps, um, islands, walls than 
than the, the, the other fish. And I've concluded, I'm sure incorrectly, and I'm sure I'll get hammered for this, I've concluded that they don't, they don't travel as much. That's, that's, I've got no, that's just my time on the water, weird mind. But and the other thing is, for me, they've got to be real careful about open water and big fish with, on trout water for me is I, I've, I've got to go in particularly, particularly at dusk. Not so much at dawn, but particularly at dusk. I've got to go in and I've got to bang deep traditional structure. Deep, you know, if it's a point, I, I want to go in and I want to bang it at 12, maybe 14, then maybe 18 feet, that kind of stuff. Um, so what I'm saying is it's not necessarily open water anymore. It's either close or more likely above really deep, but traditional reef, really deep reefs. might be 15 feet above them, but it's still, to get my big fish, I've got to do that on trout water. And I, I'm sure there's people out there all season long catching those big fish, shallow, keying on baits and so on. But first of all, the bait isn't real shallow mid-season except under certain circumstances and when you've got rising bait then you better you better put up you know you better go like hell but the other thing i want to say about that in case i forget and this this will be controversial um is i i have a habit i love to cast so i don't troll enough i shouldn't be talking trolling i mean i'm not an expert on trolling but i i love to cast so when i find Spots on spots over open water, and they are there. There are areas that are consistently good, bait or no bait. Now, if bait is gone, if for some reason it's deserted that part of the lake, that, that, that changes. But there, there are spots where I don't necessarily have to. I'm disappointed if I don't see a lot of bait, but I don't necessarily have it. I know I will troll them or I'll fish them. And then there are, there are those spotty areas, let's call them areas, and they may be. Oh, they may be uh, a half mile by half mile, or they may be a football field, or they they may be less. But but on those spots, there are there are spots within those spots, and I that is controversial as hell. I, I don't think there are many people out over open water that will say say you can see, for instance, the same two or three fish, or you can catch. But you, but in my opinion, you can. So what I'm getting at, and this will make it even more controversial, is being a caster, being a fairly efficient caster, I will mark those spots off with markers. I'll throw markers. I, I used to, there was a, used to be a joke that Pearson has a mile of line floating around in Lake of the Woods. That, that was because I always anchored little sticks and all my good spots so I could know exactly where the shallow spot was on the reef or whatever. No, no neon markers floating there, but you a little stick that I could spot cat within a cast. But anyway, well, I mark it now, of course, when you're open water, I mark it with conventional, I throw my markers. And that might, that might be, I wouldn't do a football field size, but I'll mark, I'll mark 100 by 200 yards. And then what I'll do is I'll cast it. And people say, well, that's, that's stupid. That, my friends say it. They don't want to do it. Well, let's troll it. Why the hell are we going to cast out here? 
I said, I'll tell you why we're going to cast out here. In my, my weird mind, we're going to cast out here because it's going to give us a lot more options. We can start on the surface, or one of us can throw surface, one of us can throw a bucktail, and then we can, go, we can go down. And we can do it by very good, careful boat control. And Bozo up front or in back, wherever my buddy is, I've got spot lock, man. I've got spot lock, so I'm not. I'm not going to be one pass and say they're not here with a, with two rods or six rods on board. I'm not going to take one pass and say, well, I didn't work because I know they're here. They're always here, so I'm going to take it apart with casting, and it worked. That's all I'm going to say. Now I'm sure that the the young Turks and the and the real brains of the current fishing scene are going to be critical of that but that's me i'm old school i love to cast and i know what i can do if i if i've got a manageable area i know i can pick it apart so we, we can get we can get back to it um let me rather than rather than uh, just ramble I'll, I'll try to organize this with a view toward what i see that the challenges out there being and what, what the average guy what the average guy thinks and, and I suspect it's, it's the fact that it is overwhelming I mean um, Paul Klein's a friend of mine and he's the open water girl for casting and probably trolling too but you know during Operation Muskie he was, he was our head guide and um, you know I, I, I had teased about it he still to this day will take certain days that he'll pick a part and he'll have some success, but it's an overwhelming task if you have limited time and budget and whatnot to look at a big body of water in Canada and say, I'm going to do it or Malax or Vermilion or, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a daunting task to look out there and say, let's just go and start trolling. I mean, to you, it inevitably looks random. Let me assure you, though, that for the fish, it's not random. And again, now we'd be back into the thermal and the water movement and the flow and the bait and what, you know, the life cycles of, of the prey, be it, be it perch, be it ciscos, be it whatever. You've got all this knowledge, and, and if, you, if you use that, that knowledge, like the life cycle of a perch, if you... If you know that they can live below the thermocline on bacteria till they get to the quote fish stage, and then they'll rise at this time of the day due to these conditions. I don't know, what what I'm saying is um, until you have that kind of experience and knowledge and, and so on, um, you look out there and it's just too random. So the first first thing I tell people is you got to shrink the box in your mind and in reality. You just can't go out there. So. Brief version, how do you how do you shrink the box? Well, first of all, you do it horizontally, geographically, however you want to you can do it as simply saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on this day. Better yet, in my opinion, is to focus on what I call the golden triangles. And it's named after one specific area on one specific very, very, very clear lake that is bounded by a center reef. A, a tremendous point in an island that's got a wall that faces to the west that always has the potential for a giant. 
and you know, I'm I'm saying my mind, my thought process was there. I got three known pieces of tremendous structure that form a triangle. Why the hell am I? Not, and and the triangle itself has always got bait in it. Why the hell am I not open water fishing out there? So that's that's the thought process that I use to shrink things horizontally. I will I will find an area that I've had success in casting, and I will come up with a geographical horizontal area, and I'm gonna say I'm fishing that. That's all I'm doing. I'm not worrying about the fact that I can look to the west and I can't see land. Get that out of my mind. I'm fishing this. This is a small lake, and that's the way I'm going to fish it. All right? So now I've shrunk it horizontally. Well, let's say that horizontally, and on this my original golden triangle, the depth out there was 120 feet in some spots. Wow. So if you look at it, well, you shrunk it horizontally geographically, but wow. You still got 120 feet. Don't I have to shrink it vertically? And the answer is, you're damn right you have to shrink it vertically. First of all, you have to from a practical point. You can't efficiently put a bait, you know, beyond 40 feet. You can go down there and jig. I've got, I've got body fish in about 30, 38 feet maybe. So, I mean, you can do it, but is it efficient for big areas like this? The answer is no, in my opinion. So how do we shrink it? Well, first of all, in my opinion, you've got what I call the photo zone. And it's roughly, it's, it's not roughly, it is the zone, the bottom of which is the limit where there's enough sunlight for photosynthesis to, to occur, for, for life to be formed, for most of even... Uh, protozoa type life to be formed. Now that can that's not there's tons of bacteria and stuff in the bottom and some forms of life in the bottom and some fish at the very bottom. But the meaningful food chain is going to be in that photosynthesis zone or above. How do you determine what that is? Well first of all you always air shallow when you're trolling. Muskies look up. The eyes are on the top. So you start with the premise of thinking shallow. And the photo zone is really, and it, again, it, it all depends on the lake, but right now I'm talking trout water because that's a bigger challenge than nestle water. It's really, um, this zone is roughly two times the CT disc reading, which is lowering the white disc, you know, where it disappears. You, 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 and you can go, go look up CT. He was an Italian guy. Go look it up. And Google is your friend and all of this stuff. You double, you basically are doubling that. So, so if I lower my white anchor and it's, I, it disappears at roughly 10 feet. And you're supposed to do this. Technically, you're supposed to do this at certain times of day on the shady side of your boat. And, you know, I mean, there's, you could research it, but there, there's, there's a technical way to actually obtain that reading. Well, first of all, you get it from the DNR or the ministry nowadays on most any lake. And you double that reading depth. And if you're skeptical, add five feet, 10 feet. I don't care. So if it's, if, if, if your white anchor disappears at 10 feet, double it. That's 20. But you're skeptical. Ah, the water was murky. The wind was this and that. Add another feet. Add 10 feet, 30. So now, now you've determined that the meaningful food chain 
lights that even deep discos come up to feed on at dusk or low light periods. Again, we spend a week on that. But you've determined, what do you determine? Well, geographically, you've cut it down to the triangle. Vertically now, you just got rid of, uh, my math is terrible, 90 feet of water. So now that's gone. So now I'm not looking out to where there's no land in sight. I'm not looking down to where I got a worry. I got a boat full of lures that can deal with 30 feet, right? So now how are we going to do it? I know, I know, I, I know the area. So now maybe I'm going to go. I'm going to find the bait. And the bait then is going to tell you if it's present. It's going to tell you is it down near the bottom of the photo zone, which Lord Kaiser used to call the twilight. Still does calls the twilight zone, where he, by the way, believes that water goes from visible visibility goes to about nil, and he believes pike and muskies travel in that twilight zone looking up at everything above them that's visible and that then at times they rise like Cisco's or like perch young of the year or whatever your prey is. And you go online you Google your prey and you figure out what's going on that way. It might be a soft bottom, it might be it might be it might be a hatch that you're gonna key on because you know what the hatch is gonna bring. But soft bottoms and hard bottoms, that's a different creature and we may or may not get there with my rambling. But anyway, so now you've you've created you what have you done? You've shrunk Lake of the Woods to a football field or less and you've gotten rid of uh, a great percentage of the depth of the water. You've now got an area that you can approach in really any fashion you want. And within that area you try like crazy to again go back to the thought process what can I do here? I don't have my, I don't have my rock hump that's got three boulders and a weed that I know the surface current is blowing over. I don't, I don't have all those factors I can, I can put together to increase my odds. But yeah, you still do. You, you've shrunk the box. It's doable. You know in your boat now, confidence-wise, you I, I've got it. I've got this now. I've got lures that can deal with this now. Okay, now I found some bait. And that might be enough. Many times it is enough. But what if we go back to the thought process of let's try to combine edges or elements of structure or whatever you want to label these things. What, what can I do? Well, first of all, is it a good fish day? Can you see them casting? You know, is, it, is it a day where you should expect weather-wise, steel-wise to catch fish? So you've got the you've got the zone, you shrunk it, you've got the bait fish, that's always the major key. But something as close to or near close to bait is your weather. What do you got for weather? You know, is it bright sun? Well, then I'm gonna focus deeper in the bait's gonna already already told you that probably, but um, but is something coming? Is there a time that I really ought to focus here? Is there a time I ought to be checking the bait, make sure it's not rising? Da, 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 da. So you, you could maybe add in weather. I got good weather. Maybe you can add in 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 current or for sure. Hey, I got a major minor coming. Let's get that. Let's factor that in. So you can still create a, if you will, a complex out there. You know, you can put things together that will increase your odds out there. 
And again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling like hell, but that's pretty much it. Now, ideally, you will have this thermal thing going, and you can, you can, you can. Well, first of all, that zone, by the way, is the comfort zone for mosquitoes. It, it always is. It, it inevitably is. And so I tell people, wow, that's, them, 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 them must be, you know, they could be down the bottom. And the answer is, yeah, they could be. The question is, most of the time, are they or are they not? And the answer is, they, in my opinion, they are not. Why the hell should be? The bait, the life chain is up above them, and that's their comfort zone. Why the hell do they want to go down in 50-degree water if they can lay around 65? I mean, it never has made sense to me. Um, and boy, I've lost, damn near lost friends over this. Almost as many friends as lose over that idea as I lose over the moon. But we'll get to it. I'm not really that controversial on the moon, I don't think. Maybe because I'm not smart enough to understand it. But so, so the point, my point I'm making is you can shrink the box. You can get your mindset to where you can deal with this. Hey, I got this, man. I got the base. I got the technology. Even side imaging, I say even, because I can only dream about LiveScope or Mega360 or, but you know, with the technology, you can take my caveman approach and, you know, Lord help you. Um, my, my, my caution on that, though, and I better throw this in there, is I'm telling you, I don't know, I don't know how it is sometimes, but sometimes out over open water in, in my favorite triangles, you will play hell, find an even much bait. And I learned that, hey, you know, particularly certain in these areas that, that I'm willing to take the time to cast, I'll run them and there isn't bait. And there's, there are times I'll say, oh, shit, I'm not going to cast. Pardon my language, I'm sorry. I'm not going to cast that. You know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm old. I'm, but I'll cast it and I'll still, you know, maybe I don't catch one, but all of a sudden, you know, maybe there's a giant there behind me and I say, yeah they're here I mean they're there I think because that's where they're comfortable the Cisco's eh, maybe not yet maybe the weather maybe the time of day you know maybe I gotta wait till dusk for that to happen it happens it happens every day uh, but that doesn't mean that the muskies are the muskies that's their zone man I mean right at you know, Morgan, different different story, different story. But why? You I mean so? So let's say you're old and you're fat. Um, do you want to go lay somewhere in the cold, spend eight, ten, twelve hours? Why the hell do you want to do that? I don't want to do that. I'd rather lay where it's uh, my wife. Or she'd rather lay where it's eighty-five. I'd rather lay where it's uh, sixty-five. And why would Musky be different? You know, they know, they know eons and eons of genetic programming tells them hey, I don't have to go down and scrounge around in the dark and freeze my rear off. I just wait. They're coming to me. You know, they'll take the elevator up and the door opens and there I am. I mean, so that's my weird thought process. And I, you have to fine-tune fine tune that. For one thing, based on your prey. Go on. Google is your friend again. If you love perch, go Type in uh, perch life cycle. Do a search. You will find that, yeah, larvae stage, you got all these webs and they're in the reeds hanging there and so on. But they can go, when they hatch, they can go down, I don't know, ethnic or what all these zones are. They can go down in the mud 
in deep water and survive on bacteria and get old enough to survive and then come up into the photo zone as small fish to feed on, on zooplankton and protoplankton and, you know, I don't understand all this stuff. But I know, and, you know, Google is your friend now, so so you can you fine-tune it with, with the bait cycle and all these other factors, water temps and the, the the water flow underneath is is the real is the real meat of this thing and you know someday maybe maybe you guys ought to bend my ear again and we'll talk about that water flow. Let me let me say this. If you got a way to find an old article, I wanna say two thousand four, two thousand five maybe, Pete Maine and I got together and we did an ESOC angler two parts two-part article on wind and wind current. And he bailed on, he was smart enough to get out of the theory part of it, and left me hanging with that. But anyway, if you can get your hands on that article, that's still, in my opinion, dated as it is, the best article for understanding water movement. And it may be wrong. I think there are some, some things dealing with the underflow. You know, I, I've rambled. All right. Let me, let me jump to the moon for just a second. Put things in perspective here. The moon, to me, is very important. Okay? But really, what is the moon? What, what's the possible consequence? What can the moon do for you? Well, it can do, as far as I can see, we're talking two things. It can provide light, or it's the effect of gravity. All right. Now, gravity is huge because look at what's high. You know, 20, 30 feet in some places around the world. But what does that gravity do to our local water? I, I, I think it's like, I mean, the most extreme tides of the Great Lakes might be like two inches. I mean, really? Two inches? Is that doing something out here on Lake Melcona? Nah. So to me, the moon... It's not a gravity part. Now, there may be mystical parts of the moon I don't understand. I'm sure there are. And I'm sure gravity has something to do, but it's not dealing, not doing much water flow-wise. Compare that two inches on the Great Lakes with what the wind can do. The wind can stack water what? Three, four feet high on one side of the lake? Docks? can go dry on the other side of the lake. Uh, I, I remember Jack Burns sit telling me one morning the dock, his dock is down 18 inches. That was a real blow. And I'm, I'm going, yeah. And I said, so I got good fishing when that water comes to the water. Of course, it's going to, it's like your bathtub. It's going to see equilibrium. So you got all these monster flows that work underwater coming in contact with underwater structure. And the, the consequences can be good or bad for fishing. Usually, if you could understand them, they'll be good. You'd use the good ones. Anyway, so get that get that article by Mena if, if 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 you're a nerd like me and read that because there's a lot of there's a lot of things there that more and more are going to come into open water fishing. And if you can't find it, I've got some. You can get a hold of me. You know how to track me down? I could photocopy it, I guess. Or you can go to uh, Frank Walsh's. BayStarCamp.com is it, and he's got a forum section, and there's a uh, thread in there. It's uh, 
he's got a thick sticky right at the top of his form. His form's about dead nowadays, but that sticky's there, and it's got like, I don't know, 75, 80,000 hits on it. I think in large part because some of my old magazine articles are in there, and that wind article is in there. It's like five, six pages down in all the thread there, but it's in there, and you can click on it and get you can click on and make it big enough to read all the, the entire article. What I'm saying is, for open water guys, I, I think it's worth it for everyone. But for open water guys, if you want to go to see some of the future, read that, particularly the parts dealing with the the return when, when the wind pushes all that water, and the bigger the water, the more the fetch and the setup, and there's all all this technical mumble jumble. The bigger the water, the more the consequences. You can only imagine, like Lake of the Woods, which I love. If that water blows across the open strong for three days, and you got gigantic rollers for three days, you're stacking water on, on the downwind side of the lake in unbelievable proportions. And when that water comes back, underwater it is. I mean. It's a force to be reckoned with out there. You you literally get these rivers within lakes where you can be, it, it will be knocking the wind flat. It's so strong. So we're dealing with gigantic forces of water movement, which inevitably are affecting um, dissolved oxygen, water, all the consequences of water mixing, all the consequences of bait locationing and positioning. No different than a river. So I think it's important if you're going to go out there and think if you're going to try to do new things, I think a lot of the new open water will be over very deep structures. Like when that return flow, and the return flow on salt water, by the way, is almost always at the thermocline level. So the effects would be on structure at the thermocline or above, but not the case on Lake of the Woods or meso water, so water that doesn't stratify. There the consequences can be much deeper God, I don't know. Now I'm rambling. And I'm sorry, guys, but I get worked up over this stuff. I'm pretty convinced I'm right. And I'm pretty convinced there's a lot of good stuff there that if we could, if we knew it, you would be on, you would be on, whenever they were active, you would be on them. And even if they're not active, you would find them. So going back to the spots on the spot out there, you shrunk the box horizontally, vertically. And now, now, now you come on in bad weather. You can't put together much other than you got the box. What I'm here to tell you is those spots, in my opinion, are probably, this is heresy to us casters, though, probably better in that tough weather based on that comfort factor thing. You're, you're prepared to fish down to 30 feet. And I'm saying even if the bait is low or not even there because they're, they're below your box. Not likely, but possible. Um, this is still worth fishing. It's better more than likely. I don't own matlock or headlock, but I'm, I got friends who keep asking me about them. But, you know, maybe you're taking the, the best kick-out bait for out or whatever. You're doing that. My recommendation would be I, I've, I've had the Pleasure, like I said, of fishing with a great fisherman, and there's known and unknown. And I've I've spent time in Wisconsin on crystal clear water with guys like Jason Long or Paul Klein, 
Um, I'm, I'm t- you know, I think if those guys took some of these boxes that I'm talking about and forgot everything below 30 feet and cranked down what I call the modern-day deep-diving baggies and then twist them in like they do, I think their odds out there on the worst possible high sky weather days are better than they are on the three part things that made your triangle, the reef, the island, the wall. Maybe not the wall. That's a different story, maybe for a different day. But um, I, so, so what I'm saying is open water doesn't have to be all foam, doesn't have to be all shell, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Now, when you apply it to Lake of the Woods, I just, I, I just had some guys Asviac, based on um, Muskie's, Muskie's first board, based on Muskie's first, to comment in private messages on, uh, on Lake of the Woods and open water. The problem with Muskie fishing in general is that you can do everything right and still fail at times. I mean, you can go to the best possible location for the conditions and so on. Um, and, and, and that's wrong. So your, your sample size is so small, you, you can do what you should have done, and they're not there, or they don't bite, or whatever, but it, what I'm telling these people is that bad if you approach it this way. The problem with Lake of the Woods and these waters is they're so massive that you can fish good spots that for assorted reasons, almost always, I think, related to this underwater flow, they're just not there at the time you're fishing them. And they're probably not on the, the parameters of the traditional hard structure that you use to create your little zone, your reef, your wall. Your, they're probably not there either. You can do everything right in the right spot. And on water that massive, they're not there. The classic example is during Operation Muskie, uh, the last year or two we had it, I was worried about terrorists showing up. In, in, on an island where there's, there's no freaking guns, I, and I'm, it's piercing paranoia itself. And I said, I don't want guys that have risked their lives, sacrificed, in some cases, arms and legs, they're going to be here with us, veterans. I don't want them, Yahoo from Somalia or whatever, I'm not, and, and I'm not prejudiced. I just don't want some from Minneapolis to think, here's a prime opportunity to be unarmed to show up with a gun. So I, in my mind, all kinds of part of this. My mind, I said, I got to get guns up here, and I did it legally. I, I hauled them up and, uh, I, you know, I roared open water all the way to Aurora back with guns, and nothing, of course, thank God, happened. But if it had, they would have been surprised because stashed all over the island in the dock and so on. <laughs> we were not, we were not unarmed. But anyway, here's the example for the futility of big water. I'm going. And I am at the point where you get close to Manitoba. You got to be careful. You're you're heading from the angle to War Road. You're south of Garden Island, twelve miles or whatever, and you can't see land. You just can't see it. So I see something coming up on the horizon. Uh, what is that? Boy, it turns out it's a gigantic, uh, and I mean gigantic, half mile maybe, mass of pelicans, seagulls, cormorants. You name it, it's all there, and they are fishing. I mean, they are fishing, and I'm, I'm just amazed by this. I need a break, so I popped a monster rock star, whatever I'm going with that day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just watching this massive, out in the middle of nowhere, massive feeding frenzy going on. 
you know, silver darts flying out all over. Comrades making drives for the Pelicans. The usual Lake of the Woods cataclysmic fishing event. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, about, I don't know, 7,500 yards from the boat, a whole series of silver missiles, you know, 12-inch missiles comes flying out, and out of the water comes a big, I mean a, a 50-inch at least type giant, hill walking after these, sploosh. And I, you know, your first instinct is to hit the, hit the waypoint button. <laughs> I look around, I said, you freaking idiot, you are, you know, you're 40, you're 30, 40 miles from anywhere. You're not coming out here. If there's any wind at all, you'd die. So there's the futility involved in big water. And there's the need, of course, to shrink the box and so on. Um, but what I told the guys at PMs is it's, it's doable. You know, do what I just rambled on about. Do that and, and, and peck away. And, you know, success is, is the ultimate confidence factor, of course. But think about it. You spend, you know, in a week up there, you got days where you're going to spend 10, 12 hours without catching one. It just happens. So that's what, unfortunately, when a lot of people will go and try this. And, well, guys, I mean, it can happen. But your odds are really down, really down. And like I said, you can do everything right. So keep in mind that, hey, you're going to have a couple of days out there or more before you probably get a fish. But it's doable. And eventually, the more things you can put together and the smarter you get about it and the more you learn about it, the more it's going to happen. And that's where it's going to be because, you know, even trolling, you, you could, you know, I in, in 19, late 70s, Pete Main and I were throwing... Gates and God knows what, casting open water in Cabacona Bay, Leech Lake. There was no one out there. You go out there now, I don't know if Cabacona is still hot. Well, I, had a, I had a golden triangle in Cabacona, I'll tell you. Anyway, you could go out there now, and I'll bet my life in Walker Bay, for instance. I, you know, opening, I bet opening weekend there'd be what? I don't know, 10, 10 books out there trolling, boards, God, you know, whatever. But that's really going to do nothing pressure-wise. You know, you want to think that's pressure? Nah. It's not going into shallow, moving them much. It's just not. You know, they say they need boards because they're scattering. Eh, I'm sure there's something to that at times. You, you can draw that with curves and turns and long lining or whatever. I'm not saying technique-based. I'm saying pressure-based. It's a new world out there. The real, you know, I, I had a friend tell me that in Vermilion nowadays, early season, some some spots, casting and trolling, open water spots can get crowded. Yeah, I suppose. I haven't been there. I hope I, I, hope I don't see it where I go. But, I'm, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, pressure out there is a different, it's a different animal. I mean, you you go in on traditional pressure, pressure like, it would, uh, let's say, a shallow reef. Well, you get up there, I mean, sometimes you see them and you, it's a rare guy that will leave without making a least move. Well, now you now pressure has done something, or pressure is a lot more effective. You've caught, you know, they get caught because pressure there is focused specifically on a spot, and bingo, they move up, they get caught. Well, now you're not going to catch them. You come twenty minutes later, good luck. Not on that one. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's I'm rambling, but but it's a new frontier. It's going to take your time. 
and I'll say one, I better say one other thing. You know, I'm, I'm a Neanderthal in terms of uh, electronics. God knows what you can do now with all the imaging you've got um, that I never had. So, I mean, it's a frontier and it's, there's a lot of iffiness to it. I understand that. There's a, you know, I, I did an article, I wrote an article at Time Free Stock Tango on confidence. And, and, and you all have it. I remember in the article I said, hey, you could, you could listen to a professional on any sport and he's telling about, he just, he just went to his, his uh, psychologist to, to get his confidence put back. So we all, we all suffer from it. But another story, if I start talking confidence, then, then we're going to end up talking about in fishermen and their FL and T equals success formula and so on. And we don't have enough time. I'll probably ramble an hour already. But uh, what I'm saying is it's, it's doable. It's there for everyone. It's not beat to death. I don't, you, you read, you know, if you catch them, yeah, that's a different thing. That's pressure. But just being out there, they're not driving, if anything, they're driving them over towards you, maybe. You know, so, so the fact there might be three boats in your box, and there won't be, there won't be in the vast majority of the kids. You'll be out there, there'll be boats going by laughing at you. But that's fine. That's fine. I'm used to that. I remember on Lake of the Woods, for 10 years, even buddies like Doug Johnson drive by me, and, you know, the comment would be uh, along the lines of, you know, you hear things on the water that people in the boat don't think you can hear. There's that dumbass person fishing in rocks again, you know, or, or comments. So you'll get, you'll get the laughter, but that's fine. That's fine. You get the last laugh. But that's, that's something, you know, I, I, I dread what's going to happen in for you guys in Minnesota on your opener, people, or later on, I'll come, I guess, if Canada doesn't open. But, you know, you're going to be fine if you do the open water thing. You, re- you really are. So, um, well, you're going to be fine, except you're probably going to have me lurking around. And if anyone's been scared, it's probably me. But I, You shed some light. I guess one thing I like about these podcasts sometimes, you shed, you shed some light on a, on a lake that I, I fish. So, your two times the Sechi disc reading that kind of hit home with me a little bit because I have a lake that's it's small but dark water and I can catch them in open water casting and I figured that if I'm looking to take a break I can catch them trolling and but the water is so dark that I bet your Sechi disc reading is probably only like three feet so I'm thinking that if I'm not in that upper six feet of the water column when I'm trolling I'm probably trolling too deep yeah well yeah uh, when I was talking to Stitchy Disc, I'm, I, I, for the most part, um, I'm talking clearer water than that. But, but again, there, there, I think it might be a mistake to go below six feet. But I don't know if you're out in if you're out in the middle of that lake. What is your bait showing? Is it showing that it's in that six foot zone, or is it deeper? It's usually a little bit deeper. I mean, it's probably in that upper ten feet, though. Yeah, I that that would that would have been my guess. Is that that you know I, I fish a bunch of those lakes. The musky lakes that we would have over here in South Dakota would be those. And I've resigned myself that I'm not going to I'm not going to use a presentation that's going to take me lower than ten feet, even if I'm in thirty feet. Thirty feet would be deep for water out here in South Dakota, but. Uh, other than river water, and rivers are another exception. 
in terms of depth and so on too, but separate subjects. No, I think, I think, I, I, I know most of my time and not like at your site unseen, I would not, I would not be trolling deeper than six. And I'd probably be trolling in three, four, at least to start with. If that's not working, I'd consider, figure if the base down, you know, 10, 12, I, I'd consider, you know, because of water clarity, I'd be dropping down. I'd probably be, uh, I'd probably be using the appropriate amount of weight and running one of Carrie's double call girls. I didn't give her, I didn't give her a heck yet either. So <laughs> solely restore, destroying my old, ancient, double-jointed thumbs with those damn double pins. But on the other, on the other hand, it's given me so many um, great fish, including the only 54 that I ever caught on Lake of the Woods. That uh, I forgive you, Carrie. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I had I just I had to get that. I know it. I know it. I, I, you're not the only person that I've I've ruined, or I've heard <laughs> that I've ruined body parts on either shoulders. Oh yeah, elbows, sure. hands, whatever. I spend from on any given day, I, from the third hour on, I I think of I think of you a lot, and I have tears in my eyes. But uh, and I, I I'm going down to electric bunnies or nines or eights or more more and more. But uh, I'll tell you I, I I'll say an interesting thing. Um, I thought the original Ken, by the way, for what it's worth, now I'm rambling again, was was one of those earth-shaking things. Um, uh, boy, <laughs> my crowd n- knows when something new comes along, and that blue, uh, Tommy, you, dis- you, you, you also destroyed, you destroyed my thumbs, but you also destroyed a lot of perceptions I had about lateral line and you know, of fish and so on, I, and I'm not sure what, what's going on, but I I'm zeroing in on if I ever do my second book, that'll be part of it. As well as open water, underwater flow, all this stuff. Um, but but uh, it did. It was, in my opinion, it was a world changer. And then the world kind of kind of dropped off a little bit. But craziest this is, you can think I'm not. Well, you know that by now. But I think double tens are coming back. I hate to see it. I hate, I hate like hell to see it, but I think I think it's I think it's cycle where we got some we got some new fish that if there is such a thing as conditioning aren't conditioned for whatever reason. So I shudder to think of them coming back. I don't want people to catch them in double tens in my boat, but that's the way it is. So I'll leave you alone. I'll quit. <laughs> hey, can I say, uh, Jeff? Can I say one more thing about that moon? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. I saw. I, I touched on it. Um, you know, there's so much talk about the moon, and I've said over the years that uh, I have. I've, I've been blessed to have these friends like Bob Strand, recently Tom Gelb. Um, you know, I've known, I've known Joe Booker, decades. I fished with Eric. I've never fished with Joe, but I, I've known all these people that. Are, I, I call them moonies that 
really, really believe in it. And I've always said, I'm not smart enough to understand it. There's clearly something to it. I have, I've known cops that tell me full moon is, is the scariest shift that they can be on. So I, am, I understand something's going on. But all I want to say, and I don't need any hate mail on 204, is to me, moon can only offer three, three possibilities. It can offer light change, it can offer gravitational pull, or it can o- offer a voodoo and mystics. I don't believe in voodoo and mystics, so I want to just say about gravitational pull, it only moves the Great Lakes a couple inches. At least so I'm told. I'm no way of measuring it. But it doesn't. it isn't doing much, even on gigantic bodies of water like the Great Lakes. Gravitationally, it isn't doing much to our water, as opposed to Lake of the Woods, where the wind is might be might be three times a week, moving the water, changing water depth, eighteen inches or more, day in day out. You know, maybe three times a week. You know, whenever it's blown, it's doing things, and it's causing major surface and subsurface changes. So. If you put the moon and weather, if you call weather the wind and the, those changes, if you put the moon in, in league with weather due to gravitational pull, I, I just don't buy it. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I can't see it. And I'm not a believer in mystics and Buddha, so those two factors are out. That leaves light. Now, that's an entirely different thing. So, to me, there are two key things the moon. Moon set, moon rise. Uh, now, full moon to me, with all the light, it's obvious there are major changes in terms of bait and so on. So I view, I view that the moon to me is, I, first of all, I can't understand. Now, also, I want to say this. I mentioned Tom, Tom Gilb and Strand, and those, those guys are brilliant people. Joe Booker is brilliant people, backed up by years of record keeping and success. So I'm, I'm not knocking that. What I do say is that if you Google that, that view online, there will be charter captains that swear by moon cycles, and there will be and they'll, rec- and they'll cite records to back it up, and there'll be those charter captains equal numbers saying no. Now we're dealing with this. The gravitational part, and I think Joe. I don't. I don't under, I'm not sure. What, I can't speak for Joe. I highly respect Joe, and his records would bear a lot of weight. But I, I'm under the impression he's he's probably. I'm, I'm sure in a better better to listen to about it than me. But I think he's kind of on that light thing too. That light light is the key, not gravity. You know, not the not the tidal effect, so to speak. It's it's the light change, and this uh, it's like rutting deer photo periodism. Light changes, time of year, light changes. So there's something there. I'm not smart enough to discern it, but I'm not buying the gravity thing, and I'm not buying buying the Google. So to me, it's light change, and so I pay particular attention: full moon, dark moon, and the consequences of that, and moonrise, moonset, sunrise, sunset. Um, and so that has simplified my life a lot now. Uh, Tom Gelb, not last year, the year before, sat down 
And I just, you know, last few years have gotten to be friends with Tom, sat down and wrote out, hand wrote out for the entire summer for me, a moon chart, well, a lunar, solar lunar, solar chart for my precise location on Lake of the Woods. Now, so what happened with that? Well, first of all, I respect Tom so much that I actually paid attention to it. And what I have to say is following it did not hurt me. That's for sure. How much it helped me, I'm not sure. Um, and, I, and, and that's based on you know, again, we always have this small sample size to base things on. You can do everything right, not catch the damn things. But, but I, for instance, um, I know I know one day I got a really big fish, and it was, I, I want to say it was like two minutes from when Tom's ex was, okay? But that same day, I got another nice fish, not as big, but but a damn nice fish at a time that, you know, was nothing. Shouldn't, shouldn't even, you know, shouldn't happen if, if, if the moon was the soul factor. So, I mean, you know, let's face it, the moon isn't the soul factor. That, does, it, does it work? These guys say so, and I respect all those guys. So let's just say this. If Tom Gelb says to me, or the standard moon chart say this is a major and a minor, I'm going to be on a good spot. Is it going to be my best spot? No, because that to me, all of that is self-fulfilling. You only fish during the full moon, and you will go to your best spots when the chart says you should fish those best spots, and you go to that spot with your best bait, with your confidence that the highest you're going to be all day because this is the time. Guess what? Guess what? You know, most of the time, something's going to happen probably. Hopefully it happens. So for all those reasons, I'm not an anti-moonie. I get labeled on it. I, I can't tell you. I mean, I'm literally almost lost friends over it. I just can't understand it. So to me, I reduce it to simplicity, and I go with it. And I don't think I'm wrong, but if you're out there waiting for some tidal effect of the moon, it ain't happening. Not in fresh water. It's just not happening. So, okay, <laughs> now you got some controversy. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll quit on that, and let's go back to where you guys want to go, or maybe you've had enough. It's up to you. Well, I know one thing that I, I wrote a note down that you said earlier. It said not random, as in, like, the open water is not, you know, like, the spots aren't random. So does that yeah. mean, in your opinion, you can go back season after season to these same spots once you determine good spots in open water and still continue yeah. to get fish? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Not, not all the spots. But it would be rare, let's say that you, you're on your little lake in Wisconsin, and you find that the uh, southeast side, for, for some reason, 300 yards out from the reed, football-sized area. Man, I, you know, every third time I go through there, I'm, I'm, I'm catching or losing one. It becomes one of those spots on the spot. I put an area within the area at least at that stage, it could become even more defined maybe. But yeah, that will that will be a spot I will always go to 
until all of a sudden I'm not seeing bait and after a season I'm not it's just not happening anymore then then I'll write it off but I look at those areas that get to be somewhat consistent out there as no different than one of my favorite points and I got a hell of a lot of points that weren't worth a damn when I found them that were the spot on the spot, I drive 20 miles to fish at dusk that have totally dried up, and I still give them a chance now and then. But what I'm saying is I don't think those areas are any different than your other traditional spots, and even more so, they're less. They're going to have less pressure, and if we understood what's going under the on under the water that I've been rambling about for, I suppose, more than an hour now. We understood that, and the more we start to understand that, the thermal or whatever it is, you will find there's a reason for those spots in the middle of nowhere that are consistently holding fish year in, year out. You'll find that. I, I, I can't, I can't, there's nothing I believe stronger than that musky fishing is that that will be the ultimate outcome we will soon have guys if they're not already there that are knowing why some of these spots are good and they'll be working on it and you know i don't know where it's going to end up there and there probably are now every time you think you got something new there's someone that's had that something new for a while and is working with it but um I, to answer your question again it's hard to shut me up, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I believe that. I, I really, really, really believe that. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pick on pipes, but I'm betting, and I've been there for three, four years. I may run back for a long weekend. So the hell of it. I get the weather this year. I've thought about that. I got a, this Canadian friend wants to look at it. He's never done that. And I got some ideas. I want him to try this too. So, I might, I might run back, but I've got a spot there. I will bet you that, and I've been there for four years, I will bet you that we will catch or lose the fish over, well, at least 100 feet of water within an hour. Within an hour. If, if, if I have any cloud cover at all or i got some weather coming, even if it's a day out, it, it'll happen. That's how, that's how much confidence. I would go there probably be my third, if I could jet anywhere on that entire lake, and I'm talking chain involving Slender and Shistos and a whole bunch of things that go off it. I had to pick five spots in the whole lake, and I could jet to all of them back and forth. That would that spot in the open water would be one of my top five, and I'd do it casting. So I don't know if that answered it, Jeff, but I, I, I believe that these, once you refine these open water spots, some of them, now not all of them, there's, it's, it's, there's, there are random, all kinds of randomness out there. But, but general randomness is different in the sense that it's random to us and, and they may not be there very often, but to the fish, in the underwater world, it's not random. Species do not survive by random movement. They have a reason for going places being there because um, their life is always nothing but basics survival and there's a reason 
that they go places, and some places they go all the time regularly. And that's what I think you get on on traditional shallow spots. And I don't think it's any different for the underwater spots. It's just that for one reason or another, probably scientific, we don't understand why they're there. More and more, we're going to though. I, I man, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm rock and roll age in terms of uh, depth and everything else. Figuring out, I mean, I'm, I'm Neanderthal, and I kind of hinted to Brad that that if he can help me get me going on this, that uh, I got places I would love, for instance, to do side imaging. I can't imagine the advantages to uh, to open water guys. Dirty water, lake of the woods, side imaging, you know, it always, all knowledge is good, um, but it, it isn't going to do much for me, so I put it off thinking I'm going to go live scope or whatever. You know, I keep putting things on, um, so I'm still primitive. But I, I can imagine side imaging even out, quote, out there in the middle. Now, what effect, how, how, how the boat might change that, I don't know. Not much, I don't think. I mean, I think there's huge things to come from technology, and I think some of that technology is here, but more importantly would be to be able to trace the under the massive underwater flows and movement of water and what that's doing to oxygen temperature and and everything that survives based on that from zoo and protoplankton to minnows to perch to whitefish to to what we're after. I mean, it, it all makes sense to them. And right now, very little of it makes sense to us, or at least me. I shouldn't have gone there. And I, I'd probably ruined this whole thing for you. But <laughs> no, you, you didn't do that for that's, sure. That's, that's pretty far-fetched, and uh, I probably should shut up. Hey, I want to say one more thing. She just walked by me here. I, I, I got it. As usual, you find out I, I always got something to say. But see, the, the, the commander just walked by. I want to tell you something. What little I know and have done in the musky world would have been much, much, much less and probably never would have happened if it hadn't been for my wife. Not in terms of just putting up with me, but in, uh, in keeping me going physically and mechanically and being the, being the one, particularly in the early years, that said... We're not going back after that damn 40-incher. We got the weather. We're going to all new spots. That kind of attitude. Or saying, that bait doesn't work right. I'm going to wait it. And me saying, don't do that. You're going to ruin a damn good bait. Next thing I know, she's popping and was waited this or waited that. So what I've, what I've been blessed with is a very talented, tolerant, better half, best half. Um, and Brad, I think you've got the same... And you know how lucky we are. Um, so anyway, I want to get the plug in for my wife. That'll that'll make me a hero here yet. It's already worked. She's already smiling. So, guys, I don't know if I've said enough. I'll set up. If I haven't, tell me where you want to go. Well, I certainly think I can agree with that. Behind most of us, we have, you know, good women. <laughs> I, know Brad, yeah. I know Brad and Carrie how it is. That's the same kind of situation it is over here. So it's, it's good to have somebody <laughs> like that. Yes, indeed. I think, I think one of the neat things, Dick, that you were talking about, and, you know, it, it's funny because I visit with countless different fishermen and people that spend a ton of time in the open water, 
I completely concur with what you were talking about. I waypoint every fish in the open water, and it's so amazing to me, and I've tried time and time again, trying to figure out why are they in this 80-foot hole. You can't see yeah. any structure change in the bottom. You can't see yeah. any currents, obviously. But uh, I don't know. You got Carrie's wheels turning. She's over here looking at fish hawks, so we can start documenting some of that stuff. But uh, I don't know. Let me, let me ask you this, Brad. Hey, Brad, let me ask you this. When you put those waypoints down, are you saving them for the next year, and have you gone back and found them in the same spot? Been doing it for 15 years, and they were consi- they're consistent every year. Ah, see, see, world out there, I'm not the only nutcase. <laughs> we already knew wow. Brad was nuts. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, you know, it, it's so remarkable, and I, I don't know. I really, really want to tr- truly understand what it is that makes them hang there. And, you know, it's really interesting. Like a good friend of mine, Matt Seifert, he, uh, he's done a lot of open water trolling as well. And one of the things that he always talks about is, Hey, we're in their kitchen versus the living room or bedroom. And, uh, there is a lot to that with the open water. They're definitely out there for some reason. So I like that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's real, right? So, Oh, absolutely. It is. You know, I mean, how often does bait move up on a shallow reef? Not very often. But on the other hand, they're out there all the time. They're out there all the time. And once you kind of put together, you know, and I spend a lot of time trolling uh, the open water, but I have practiced, you know, going back to those waypoints and actually casting, and we catch them casting as well. So there's options. And now with side imaging and everything else that we've got at our hands, you can yep. go out there and target those fish just by driving around and go, oh, there's the one that I want. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. Uh, throw your cast the beauty and catch of, the fish. Like, like I said, the beauty of casting is, you know, it's not just one pass. A lot of things could go wrong. I mean, the, it doesn't flash right. It doesn't get close enough. Whereas with casting, if you know it's a spot, you can be much more efficient. And again, the life changer on that is spot lock. Now, spot lock can throw you out of the boat and win, but but in many instances, that spot lock, particularly out in the middle of nowhere, is uh, is, is a huge deal for me. Um, I guess before we let you go, I had one one last question. Does every, sure. in your opinion, does every lake have an open water bite? Oh well, that's that's there you stop me. Let me think about that for a second. Um, I I can't I can't think of a single instance where I would think it's not the case. Now, I guess I guess the only well, if it's shallow, then the whole lake is fishable anyway, probably. So, no, I can't. I I don't know why there would be why there would be lakes that didn't. At least potentially, I, you know, if you got some example or something in mind, I'd be happy to talk about. It. We could maybe that's something we could all think about, talk about later. Um, but uh, yeah, I just uh, I I don't know why there. Yeah, I don't know why there would be like I can't think of 
what what conditions uh, would, would would render a lake that it wouldn't be possible? Um, there, there might be extremely shallow lakes where there would be where, where there would be you know where there might be random movement from one area to another by fish that would have nothing. I mean, there might be certain spots might just hold most of the fish most of the year would be my worry on real shallow water. Um, but you know, it, 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 it guys, now you got me going. I, now you, you ruined the rest of my day now, Jeff. I'm going to have to think <laughs> about this, but, but you know, I mean, there are, there are situations that drive me nuts, you know, like the CT thing. Um, I talked about that uh, years ago in Chicago one time and man, I, I got kind of nastily hammered because people assumed that I said that applied to every lake. And of course, that it doesn't apply to some lakes. Some lakes don't, you know, like you're, you're the one in Wisconsin, you fish a lot. So there's the CT disc really doesn't come into play. Or, well, I've caught muskies in, in 35 feet or 60 feet. And that, that can happen anywhere. It's rare. But when you dig into that, for instance, which I had to do, what I have found is that, you know, um, I was late to the Bondi bait game thing, let's put it that way, but what I have found is that I could be pretty consistent, consistently successful with Bondi bait, deep, deeper than I would have ever fished before, bless his soul, but where I do it is where we've got these massive underwater flows. I mean, some of the favorite bondy spots in Lake Ed Woods are, I mean, sometimes it's hard to hold your boat in these necks and whatnot. Under, you know, where there's underwater canyons. And there what you've got is, you know, the Sichi thermocline entire thing has absolutely no bearing whatsoever because you've got violent water movement and consistent water movement might be one way or the other depending on the day or the time, but it's almost always there except for brief moments where you get equilibrium where water isn't going one way or the other. And that, those are very brief moments. So, so everything's off. So, I mean, temperature comfort zone doesn't even apply maybe because the water is so mixed. The oxygen is so mixed that there, there is no dead zone. I'm rambling, you know, I'm not, probably not making sense, but what you'll find is if you dig into some of these deep Lake of the Woods, there's guys saying, I'm getting them in 40 feet of water on Bonnie Bates, Pearson's foolish, pardon my language. Well, yeah, I am, if you look at it in terms of typical parts of the lake, but I'm not, and I can catch them. I got a 48 inch or 38 feet of water, and I got a bunch of vets that would verify that. Um, it would happen to be that one, happened to be during Operation Muskie. So, so it's all, all, you know, there, are, there are situations where all rules are off. You, know, you can have rules about the thermocline. Well, if there isn't one, that rule doesn't apply. Or you can say there's no comfort. The comfort zone is such they shouldn't be deeper than 20 feet. Well, if everything's mixed and the comfort zone is from 0 to 40, they'll be anywhere from 0 to 40, depending on bait and other factors. Um, so there, there's exceptions to everything, and now you just gave me another one to worry about. Is, is there lakes where there wouldn't be open water? I, I don't know. I don't know why. I'll probably have an answer <laughs> next time you get around to call me. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, that, I mean, that is a good. That's a damn good question. <laughs> well, I know that's that you. Can, I know that we're going to get people that are going to question whether or not their lake does or doesn't, and I'm assuming that most lakes do. Much like you, I I also assumed that there was maybe a couple of them. You know, if you don't have a deep basin, you know, potentially yeah. those fish just slide out a little bit off structure, but it's not really as much. It's not really be, open water. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I would think it has. It obviously, I think, has to be a shallow exception somehow related to shallow exception it has to be related to water clarity my guess is bait and weeds i mean if the whole damn lake is weeds there's no open water you know what i'm saying or, or there's there's still weeds but they're they're not so disturbed you know those kind of lakes extremely dirty extremely fertile extremely shallow that's the only exception possibilities that are jumping in mind i can't think of a single deep lake that has fish in it, that has a fish chain in it, that wouldn't then of necessity have have an open water thing. I, I, I will say, well, I better not say that because there's quite a few mesolakes lakes that, that I haven't tested this on. On trout water, the consistently good spots are usually indirectly related to some sort of structure. Not necessarily traditional in the sense that you would normally cast at it, but perhaps down down below there's there's a well for instance there could be there could be a, a soft bottom that gave off a hatch that would be not typical for that like there'd be something unusual. Might be a deep reef that you would never think of you couldn't efficiently cast to that might have some bearing on there, and that might be related to deflection of the underwater flows and all kinds of things. So there, what I'm saying is on trout water, there seems to be on those consistent spots, traditional structure of some sort nearby. Not always, but nearby. Whereas at Mesa, I'm not sure. If on Milconia or fishing open water, I don't know. There might be, there might, there, there might not be. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I haven't fished that kind of stuff enough. Uh, and I'm not smart enough to to get there yet, so I I, I got to be kind of general. Um, but I, Jeff, to answer your question, I I, I promise you I'll, I'll think about it, and I'll uh, on the record or off the record I'll tell you what I think. But that's a damn good question. I you know I've got I'm 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 facing that here if I'm if I'm not getting to Canada this year, I'm going to be fishing more South Dakota waters than I normally would. Uh, not because we don't have muskies, but because I just enjoy, I just enjoy more wilderness studies, I guess to say. So I'll, I'll try to answer that. It's, it's, it's worth thinking. Love, I love it. It's worth thinking about. I'm sure you're right that there will be people who say there's no open water bite here. I'd be interesting, you know, to, to hear what kind of water it is. And, and they may well be right. I, I can't, I just can't say. You know, God bless all you folks, and I appreciate you tolerating an old man here rambling on and on well we so you gotta blame you gotta blame keith not me and <laughs> so. no and i i mean we really appreciate keith uh talking you into doing this i know this wasn't something that was really high on your priority list so and we really appreciate <laughs> you taking you know the amount of time that you've taken out of your day to do this we can't thank you sure. enough for it i'm sure that guys are gonna love it and i'm sure we're gonna get you know people that are like well, if you get him on again, can you ask him this and can you ask him that? Because that's typically how this how this uh, scenario plays out. So, um, you know, you, Dick, you, 
you can always ask. You might regret the answer, but you can always ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, we like I said, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. We hope sure. that the listeners like having you on. I certainly want. I have. Like I said, I have a list of things here on my notes. I during every podcast, I make notes when somebody says something I, of interest that I want to go back on. I typically jot a note down, and I have a bunch of different things that you know we we could touch on. And obviously, the wind current thing is another one that we've never really dove into on the podcast. I'd love to go back down that route. So as long as you're willing to, you know, come back on and talk fishing with us for a couple hours again, we'd love to have you back. And like I said, between and you know, we just can't thank you enough for taking this much time out of your day to, to talk fishing with us. So thank you. We appreciate sure. it. You're welcome. Hey, as I, as I used to sign off, um, let the wind do the work or stay on the windy side, guys. Thank you very much, Dick. Have a good day. Yeah, yeah. You. Thanks, Dick. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Carrie, take care of him. Yeah, you too, Dick. I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Bye.